This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You know, you got to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. So a week ago, I'm reading Scoop Duck, and we're not going to get Slusher. <laughs> we're not going to get Johnson. We don't have jobs. Right. We have no food. Our pets' heads are falling off. Yep. Everybody's going everywhere else. Completely different story today. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's... Uh, it's I'm not gonna lie. It's definitely been. It was yesterday was much more enjoyable because when things go uh, the right direction, when when things are going positively, as you've read and as the people that are listening know, the board is much more enjoyable, not only for them but also for me. So, uh, yeah, yesterday, uh, good for business, good for the board, good for morale. You know, great day and just uh, it's so. Uh, like you said, I feel like I feel like I, I think I wrote this. Uh, you know, Tuesday night. You know, I feel like I gave them all a bunch of sugar and everybody on Tuesday. I mean, any little tidbit that came across was, oh, my gosh, Flo's going to U.S. You know what I mean? Just like everything. It's like, guys, I told you today was going to be weird. Just ride it out. Just ride it out. So uh, I guess we got through it. (laughs) And and you mentioned the big one. I think everybody in the world watching uh, Flo play the hat game yeah. at 11 a.m. yesterday. And he played it good. Right. Yeah. That was amazing. And and the hall is amazing. And I think back to the pod we did last year after early signing day where we just went down the line and told you about every single player Mario added to this program. I want to do that again, but just right off the top, your overall thoughts on this hall. Um, I mean, it's uh, whichever spectrum you want to look at it through. If I want to get on the nitpicky side of things, yeah, I think this class could use a a Johnny Wilson uh, type receiver. doesn't have to be him. And it could use a tight end. And again, we're talking about if we're going for if our goal is to strive for perfection, which I know it is at all times. But, you know, we're going absolute top end. I think a bigger bodied receiver doesn't have to be as big as Johnny Wilson but somebody 6364 a little, little taller a little more length um you know that would and a tight end I think those two things would be the icing on the cake but if I'm not going at it with the perfection nitpicky comb it's a freaking great class right I mean you know what amazes me most what amazes me most about what Mario Cristobal does at Oregon which we don't talk about enough is he identifies the needs and he fills the needs. It might not necessarily be the star name. It's not a five-star at every position. It's not a five-star tight end. It's not a five-star quarterback. He's getting more and more five-stars. He's getting more and more top-end talent to Oregon slowly but surely, which is not an overnight thing. Mm -hmm. But he's not losing sight of the holes that he needs to fill. And those holes... When you skip them for a year or even two years, right, become glaring, gigantic holes and become huge issues for your program. And we saw, we saw the residue of that at Oregon uh, these past couple years uh, at receiver. For a couple years, Oregon missed really badly at wide receiver 
We saw that the last two years. You know, got saved by Dylan Mitchell being a one-man show last year. Got saved by Juwan Johnson being a grad transfer coming in this year. But that group in its current state, which has been pretty poor, was made that way because of errors through recruiting. So I think Mario Cristobal does a really good job of avoiding those. Again, could be a little better receiver, maybe at a tight end, and, and it's probably near perfection. But those are still... Oregon is still in a spot where they can fill those needs. It's not like we need to fire off the alarms and go, oh, my gosh, we're, we're toast. There's no help there. So, again, overall, great class. Two five-star linebackers. You're going to get to go pair them with a five-star defensive end now. Uh, you had Mace Fiona come in, and, you know, that's a highly rated four-star guy. Not quite a five, but up there. I mean, you're talking, again, I said this yesterday on a couple radio shows, and I know that. Mario Cristobal loves this term. They're bringing freaking dudes in, man. Like, and I say that they're freaking dudes. I mean, you cannot be a fan of recruiting or college football. Flip on Justin's flow tape, Justin Flo's tape, and tell me he sucks. Right. Like, you could be Washington and be bitter about it. Like, fuck, they got Justin Flo, not good, man. That guy's overrated. Bullshit, that guy's overrated. Mm-hmm. Flip on the film, you know, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Noah Sewell, Noah Sewell, I mean, everybody's talking about Justin Flo, rightfully so, because he committed yesterday, and it's a big win for for Mario Cristobal, but Noah Sewell is right there. I mean, he's, again, he's another dude just on his own. I mean, that's a six-foot three, six-foot-four, 265-pound, 255-pound kid that can, like, move like he shouldn't be allowed to move. He defies the laws of gravity, and all these guys are going to be on the same defense with Mikhail Wright, who was all-world this year as a freshman. I thought he did a tremendous job. You know, tough for him to be a, a, a surefire starter ahead of Thomas Graham and Diamondo Lenore, but he was definitely not a weak spot when he was out there. So he's just getting dudes, man. He's filling holes in a big way. Yeah, you mentioned plugging up holes. I, obvious one is linebacker where you lose your senior captain, but you add two five stars. Well, and before you get going, I want to keep going. Just a couple years ago, Oregon was starting a walk-on at linebacker. Right. Like, again, those were errors in recruiting years before where you missed a year, two years. That small hole became a gaping hole, which it did for Oregon. I mean, look at the man. He freaking fixed that in a big way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're adding one of the most violent hitters in the country, Justin Flo. I, I love the highlight film of him picking up the running back and launching that guy back to the turf like – that's not just a football player. That's a violent hitter. That's a great linebacker. That's going to be awesome for Oregon. Even if that play is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, you still want that freaking guy on your team. Yes. I mean, seriously. Yes. Like, okay, you know, don't do that again, but everybody else around is going to be like, holy crap, let's go. The, you know? I guarantee you the play caller on the offense says we're not running on that guy. Yeah, and, the, happening. and after the running back cleans the shit out of his pants, he's got to go back out there and face him again. <laughs> right. Um the other notable thing to me, you hit on all the fundamentals. You got to get a quarterback every year. He got two of them, two good ones too. And you got to build your offensive line every year. Yeah. And stop me if you've heard me drool about this before. Mario Cristobal goes out and finds the biggest offensive lineman <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. Uh, the kid from Hawaii, Faope Lalulu. Yep. Six seven three ninety. Right, monster human being. You heard in the press conference, he said he made Big Joe look small. Right, that's tough to do. When you make Joe Salavea look like a midget, that that says something. Yeah. No, I think you know 
there's no question if you've been following Mario Chris Ball uh, since arriving at Oregon, he is intent on getting Oregon, Oregon bigger and stronger and more physical at the line of scrimmage, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Now, yeah, there is a point where you're picking guys that are too big and not able to bend and move. But you know that that's something that Mario Cristobal values. He does want some bigger bodies on the line, but they still got to be able to bend and move. And if you watch LaLulu, he's a guy that is supremely athletic for his size, uh, You know, plays volleyball, can play basketball, can do all these different things. Sure, if you bring him in, you're probably saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to get you to cut 25 pounds or whatever the case might be. You're going to re- reshape his body just a little bit, not right. a massive overhaul. Right. You don't need to change those shoulders. No, you're not. But you're going to get, I mean, look at look at Panay Sewell in the two years. I thought he had a, a, a little extra on his body coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. But you look at him now, and he's, 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 he's probably not even all the way there yet. He is a pretty slender 300 and, what is he, 335 pounds, probably something in that range, 340 pounds. Right. He doesn't carry a lot of weight, and you saw on that one play, the uh, trick play that Oregon had for him against Utah, he's plenty athletic. He can move. He can bend. And so, you know, I think when Mario Cristobal flips on the tape, sure, he's going to look at the measurables, and he's going to flip on the tape and look at what these guys are doing, but he's still looking for that ability to bend and twitch and, and be able to change direction, whether they're six, but, you know, six foot seven, 390 pounds or whatever the case might be. You know, that's a guy that... I don't think comes in and probably necessarily starts this year, but I think in a couple of years we're talking about that guy being a, being an anchor on one side of the line. The next monster yeah. in the trenches. So let's do – this is going to be fun. Do the same thing we did last year after early signing and just go through the list on all the guys the Ducks brought in. Okay. I got it up on Scoop Duck right now. And uh, first I just want to tip my cap to you. You said watch out for four – events and you nailed all four of the picks you said watch slusher but he's probably not going to pick oregon yeah he didn't right the other three did right yeah no i mean that's the the great thing yesterday and it can be an absolute uh, rat race It, it can be you know just crazy signing day can be a lot but if you're prepared and i feel like i was mostly prepared for the day it goes fairly smoothly. So, yeah, was I busy? Sure. You know, there's a couple commits, and, and you, you got to get stories up in a timely manner and try and get them on Facebook and try and get some traction there and, and doing all these things, keeping track of the letters that are coming in and, and making sure those are noted. There's a lot to keep tabs on, and it can be overwhelming if you're not prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I felt like luckily we had a couple of those articles already in the can, so it made made my life easy yesterday. Um you know, the the funny thing is I'll just mention it now because the story slusher, you know, I felt like he wasn't coming to Oregon. Uh, you know, I thought for sure he was going to Nebraska. Uh, funny story, as I did speak with a, uh, a source of mine very close to Nebraska. And the story I got, this was yesterday after it went down, was, uh, you know, uh, slusher had told Nebraska he's coming, he's coming Tuesday night, I'm coming no problem. Everything's good to go. And, uh, and Wednesday, Nebraska is going through and announcing their letters of intent, just like Oregon does same way. And, uh, they'd announced three or four defensive backs or whatever. And apparently one of the coaches on staff that was recruiting him got a text from slusher. It was like, well, I see you guys got three or four defensive back commits, <laughs> or, you know, already. So I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to Arkansas. Wow. And that was that. So, wow. I mean, so- even like, even 
knowing he wasn't going to Oregon, even yeah. Nebraska coaches all felt like, okay, we got Slusher. He's coming great. And for the for the same reason I said he wasn't coming to Oregon, which was, you know, you look at who Oregon signing Luke Hill and all these other guys that Oregon was able to sign. We know that Oregon's still in the game for Dante Manning and Khalil Ringo. There's a ton of smoke there. Miles Slusher had his eye on that. Apparently didn't want to be part of that. You know, if you're put off by competition, I guess good luck to you. He was put off by the competition at Nebraska, so that uh, yeah. I mean, so that should tell you how he felt about the competition at Oregon. Well, I mean, if if you so. don't want to compete, you just want to play four years. You could probably do a lot worse than the worst team in the SEC right now. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about wanting a clear path, I mean, Arkansas, Ooh, here I come. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, that's a funny story on Slusher, but yeah, to your point, you know, fortunately the flow news hit. Uh, you know, Slusher Wilson, you know, all those main storylines, and then Robbie Ashford, which was kind of the unknown quantity if you will uh and and fortunately that one ended up panning out and even when he committed and tweeted that he hadn't signed i was immediately like just give this a minute guys hang on a second here (laughs) and i can't wait to break down his tape that kid is some fun plays out there let's start with the big one we knew about this one a while back noah sewell yes yeah i mean uh Talked about it just a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, you go on, and, and of course, the development of Panay Sewell helps a ton there. Uh, Mario's close relationship with the Sewell family there. Uh, that was really, I mean, most schools had a pretty good indication very early on what was going down there. I mean, I, I just, I know a lot of people mentioned Georgia over and over. You know, he did visit and all this and that, but that was just one young man that I never felt like there was a, a legitimate threat to Oregon for. Tremendous young man, tremendous player, you know, 250 pounds, 260 pounds, whatever he is, and moves like he does. I mean, we saw him at the opening, and that was when he really kind of erupted onto the scene, at least for, you know, for for getting his fifth star. Um, Taking the top player out of the state of Utah once again, I I mean, just hopefully the Sewells can keep having more kids. (laughs) I mean, geez. But no, I mean, Noah Sewell. I know that all the talk's been Justin Flo, and he's an incredible player, but, man, Noah Sewell is centimeters behind him, in my opinion, at at worst. I look at it this way. You hit on the key there, and Mario said the same thing in the presser yesterday. That's an incredible family. Yeah. You are not just recruiting that young man to Oregon. You are adding another great member of a great family to Oregon. Yeah. Also an incredible athlete. Two-way star yep. on a state championship team, best player in Utah, and you mentioned that Penne trick play in the Pac-12 title game. Yep, I'm already dreaming and scheming about handing off to Noah out of like a jumbo package, right? Because as good of a linebacker as he is, yep. five-star backer. I think he could be a stud fullback if you needed it. Yeah, just you know, have one of those plays where you say, hey. You go run behind your brother Panay, and those two just kind of fall into the end zone. You can't tackle another. him. No, you're not. Yeah, that's quite a duo there to try to mess with. But no, I mean, great, great get for Oregon. And, you know, I, I think that, that the momentum that we felt Oregon kind of getting yesterday and through the last few days, I think getting uh, Noah Sewell committed a little bit earlier in the process versus signing day really helped kind of spurn that momentum for Oregon in a positive way. And it really kept up later with Justin Flo. Yes. The two the two know each other. They played together uh, at a number of camps. You know, uh, and that's the thing. These these elite players, 
you know, in different pockets of the country, you know, they all talk to one another after they maybe they meet on a, a visit on an official visit or maybe they met at a camp and recognize that they might be looking at two or three or four of the same schools. You know, when things start whittling down, you know, that kind of comes back in your mind like, oh, I remember talking to, to Noah in the summer or the spring about, you know, Oregon and what's going on there and how his brother likes it. And uh, he committed. Let me just maybe reconnect with him because it became pretty clear that this was turning into an Oregon versus USC battle for Justin Flo. And that's certainly how it played out. So you weren't concerned when he pulled the pump fake with that Miami hat yesterday? You know, every, everything <laughs> I'd heard. No, I was. I'm not going to lie. Everything I'd heard leading into yesterday was was very concise like Oregon felt really good don't you know don't worry about don't worry about this USC chatter and and I've heard that before so in the back of my mind I'm thinking okay but this staff operates different man it just I mean like to say that you know to put them in the same ballpark as some of the the staffs in here before and how those situations have played out I'm not saying Oregon can't get beat by USC for some guys but they're I mean it's it's becoming less and less likely that's for sure oh yeah well one look at the rankings we could talk about this for a whole hour. Oh, yeah. I just want to spend a minute on it. Diagnose what's wrong at USC. Everything. I don't know. It's funny because today I'm reading stuff from several people talking about the recruiting office budget US at USC. I'm like, how the hell is this an issue now? What? What? Like, seriously, this is this is your argument that. Uh, so there's no doubt coming from Clay Helton to put that out and get that out that, oh, yeah, we recruited so poorly because of our recruiting budget bullshit okay you didn't have to lift a freaking finger for 11 months out of a 12-month recruiting cycle before and you could call a kid two weeks before signing day and say hey you know we decided to give you an offer you want to come to usc and those freaking kids would commit on the spot i've been front and center to that show more times than i care to count that doesn't happen now and sure maybe they could use more in recruiting and, and a better budget or whatever that's not the freaking reason i mean it's it's it pisses like it you know i guess it sounds like i'm pissed off about it i just think it's lame it's right. just it's lame own it like hey we just didn't recruit very well i mean the fans aren't energized about clay helton okay so most of the of the recruits their parents have been fans about usc so if the regular fans are excited about USC you think the parents are excited about USC no and that trickles down to the recruits right and it's trickling out to the high school coaches I, I think about and and at times she's like a woman possessed man she has become my favorite duck fan out there uh, Jonah Talanu's mom yeah. Melissa we interviewed her on the pod back in the day I feel like every parent feels that way that she does about USC it's becoming more and more the trend that's for sure I know there's some diehards out there I know there's still going to be good kids that go to USC. I mean, obviously they were – I know it took him several stops to get there, but they got Chris Steele in the end. Um, you know, Brew McCoy, the very so – look, at this point, if you're a quarterback or receiver, I probably just don't have – I can fully believe you going to USC. Graham Harrell being there, it's going to be a good offense. It's a wide-open offense. It's fun. But if you're a running back, you're never going to get the ball. And if you're an offensive lineman, it kind of sucks to sit there and do pass pro – 75 out of 80 plays right which is what you're doing right that does not develop you for the nfl hey talk about pass pro ducks got somebody who i think has a lot of potential down the road the uh the big guy from hawaii yes. faope lalulu yes 
is there anything else you want to hit about this kid? No, he's just he's more than a big body. He's an athletic guy. I, I do think they'll reshape his body a little. I don't think you're going to see a kid go from 390 down to 310. That's not feasible. I think you're going to see somebody that hovers around 390, 400 pounds, whatever he's at. And, and you try to get him maybe into that 365 range, you know, maybe 370. Not losing a ton, but losing some baby fat. Allow your body to move a little better. But know that the purpose and the reason you recruited him is because you want him to be a wall on one side of your offensive line. Oh, yeah. You're not looking for him to go and get second level and be that type of downfield blocker. You want a wall on the left or right side of your offensive line where you can say, hey, I don't care who's coming. Just put your big paws on him and, and, and keep him out of, off the quarterback. Yeah. The blueprint is there yeah. of you think about where did Mario Cristobal go to school, Miami. What right. did he learn and what did he teach Miami power football and then he goes to Bama what do they teach what do those players learn power football yeah and we're seeing the same thing at Oregon get the biggest toughest O-lineman and just let them go I mean there's a reason Mario Cristobal has like three or four Outland Trophy winners or whatever it is at this point. Right, right. He knows offensive line guys. You've brought this up to me. It's not just the interior on the O-line. Right. It's the guys on the other side. Quinn and Williams is a freak. And in a better world, if he's healthy a full season this year, he's probably defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Yeah. Mario recruited him back in the day. Yeah. I think Mario's got a clear eye for talent. I mean, most coaches do at that, at this point, but I think the good part about Mario, uh, coach Cristobal is that he's out there trying to recruit the absolute best guys he can get. But along with that, instead of going after the high four stars and five stars and having no backup plans, he has plenty of backup plans. Like, okay, look, we're going to go after, uh, you know, we're going to go after Justin Flo and, and really try to get him. But if we don't, we've got two or three other guys here in the mix that I really like. They have length and they can move and they can bend and they're good people. You know, he's got a lot of those. So I think that's how you have to recruit at Oregon. You have to you have to the goal has to be to get as many elite players as you can. But understand it's not going to be a whole recruiting class full of them. Yeah. You, you want some of those dudes, but you have to understand that a guy like Jackson LaDuke, and I'm not picking on him, that's not as highly touted. I think he's a great-looking linebacker, and we'll get to him, but that's a really good linebacker nobody's talking about because he's not a five-star like Sewell or Flo. But you've got to have a play like a Jake Shipley. That's another guy not getting a ton of love, but on the defensive line, defensive end, he's got that body type that there's not a lot of out west. you got to take advantage of those and then continue to hope and try and maybe add a Kayvon Thibodeau with him. Oh. That's going to be sweet. Uh, let's keep going down the list. The first name that I don't feel confident saying, I'm going to butcher this kid, Masil Afaisi. Yeah. It's Mikhail. Mikhail. Yeah. Afaisi. Okay. Yeah. That's how you say it, but that's a tough one. And I had to get a little help learning how to say that one. But, yeah. You know, great looking defensive end, you know, kind of a high motor guy, kind of a kind of an Austin – kind of an Austin breed there. Um, so value Austin value. That's who I'm talking about. So uh, anyways, n- just again, another guy. Yeah. You're going to go after the elite defensive lineman out there, but you got to have your eye on guys like him. And he, uh, without looking at without in front of me, I think he's like in the six, four range. I know he had some pretty good camps. I know Oregon saw him in person. Big Joe worked out with him in person at one of those camps. And, uh, 
that that really is the best kind of evaluation you can get at the right, end of the day. Right. You can watch hours and hours of film if you want. You can even go to this kid's practice and maybe watch him at a practice. But when you can be at a camp and put him through some of your drills and know exactly what you're looking for and see exactly what he's doing, I, I there's just no better way to evaluate a young, young man, which is why the you know the NFL has the the uh, scouting combine. And I think that's a situation where you have one of the best evaluators of deed linemen in the nation, Joe right. Salvea. You have a guy that people forget he was a great college football player and a standout in the NFL. He played on a Super Bowl team, uh, the Titans, 99. Yeah. They, they lose in the Super Bowl on that final play. And then at one point, he was a, a starter and a pro bowler with Washington. Right. So this is a guy that had success at the highest level who knows what that professional talent level looks like. And when he signs off on a player, go get him. Yeah, he knows what they look like. And I think that's the important part. Better than any of us. We can watch all the film or even, you know, QB 11 or, or mud or the guys that turn on film and do some evaluations, which they do a really good job. At the end of the day, even those guys will say, hey, look, I'm going to trust Coach Cristobal and Coach Joe ahead of what my own eyes see and hope that it works out. So, again, not a highly ranked guy, but now you're talking about Oregon, which has struggled the last couple of years getting back into Hawaii, and they got two guys this year. Yeah, yeah. You got to win Hawaii. Yep. A lot of talent there. Absolutely. Tell me about Jared Greenfield. You know, I, I believe that this is a young man that is going to need a little bit of development time, and that's okay. I, I mean, you'll hear Coach Cristobal even say, look, there's a place for those guys, but – He's got the body type, he's got the length, and he can move really well. So I think he's going to come in and have the chance to learn behind Bennett Williams, Javon Holland, Brady Breeze, and some of those guys for a year or two. He's probably not going to be on my list of you know instant impact candidates, and that's okay. That's not a knock on Jared Greenfield. I trust Keith Hayward here and what he saw. They took him early. Um, you know, it, it's definitely helped them with some of the Narbonne guys there. He was at a, he was at Narbonne with some talent, uh, Oregon probably could have had Trayshawn Holden if they really wanted him at receiver. Um, and, and they did elect to move on there. Um, they've got Anthony Beavers, who's also committed to Oregon in the 21 class. So again, recruiting, yeah, you're, you're taking talent, but you're also looking at other things, which we talked about the two Hawaii players. Well, yeah, now you're back in Hawaii. That's just a bonus off of taking two good players. You know, Greenfield, the same thing. I think he's a development guy, but again, that's okay. Right, right. At that position, you don't need somebody right away. Nope, not at all. TJ Bass. Uh, that's a guy that now, now we flipped the script here, Juco player, and there are a lot of legitimate concerns about where Oregon turns to for a center next year. Jake Hansen's going to be gone, and he's been terrific for the last three, four years. So now what do you do? Are you going to move somebody over? Um, you know, is Alex Forsyth ready? Is it, uh, you know, is it uh, Dawson Jaramillo? What's what's Mario Cristobal going to do there? Well, it might just be TJ Bass. He's a guy that probably could fit in there. If nothing else, you're losing Shane Lemieux and Dallas Warmack off this roster, both at guard. He could play at guard. You slide him over there. Yeah, so you're talking about not taking a prep guy. I know it's always best if you can kind of recruit two years out. So realistically, the guys that might be replacing all this offensive line uh, depart all these offensive line departures should already be on the roster you would hope but tj bass is a juco guy so a little different ball game there i think he's a guy that get, i'm not going to say he's going to start but i think he's a guy that's probably in the rotation which we saw 
you know, Oregon do. They had Stephen Jones coming in, Brady Aiello coming in. You were rotating guys through there. Right. I could see TJ Bass putting his his name in the rotation this year. I think it fits in two ways. One, Coach Cristobal has proven he isn't afraid about getting that JUCO guy mm-hmm. and bringing him in on the offensive line or getting a grad transfer like Warmack and bringing right. him in. Um, the other angle is it smooths over the cracks from that class two years ago. Yeah. I, I still think locally think back to watching Chase Coda and yeah. hearing about Talanoa Hufanga and Braden Lindsay and all these Oregon guys. You didn't just miss out on talent in state. You missed out on talent everywhere. Right. And now, you know, you, you don't get a chance to look back and say who steps up on the line. Right. Potentially. Right. You can just grab a juco and worry about what your class a year ago can do and that class was fine yeah so and i, and I like you know again flip on tj bass's film he's a pretty nasty guy like mm-hmm. he's in there pushing dudes back he's a knockback kind of guy i know that's a term crystal ball likes to use um this isn't just a oh let's just kind of take this guy just because I mean, Crystal Ball was had his kind of his choice of the litter when it came to offensive linemen. He saw something he really liked here. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna trust him on this one. Uh, another name that I, I'm fascinated to hear about, Chris Hudson. I I, uh, I really like Chris Hudson, and, and I like the fact that he's a very versatile guy. You know, talk about in the championship game for St. John Bosco, and he was playing cornerback and safety and receiver. Uh, you know, kind of t- and taking some carries, not necessarily out of the backfield, but sweeps and things like that. He was really a do-it-all kind of guy. You always, always, always have have room on your roster for a guy like that that you can, you know, kind of move around and manipulate in the offense, similar to like a Jalen Red now. Mm-hmm. But Chris Hudson's a little a little faster. I think he's a little bit more refined as a receiver coming out of high school than Jalen Red was uh, again coming out of high school. Um, this is a guy that's very was very valuable for Oregon to hang on. I know Arizona State made a very strong push there at the end, really trying to get him to hold off signing, but he did sign. Um, I, again, I can't say enough about Hudson. I saw him at a couple events. I think I think there's a lot to like here. Um, is he an instant play guy? I'm not quite so sure with Jalon Red still on the roster. And again, I think Oregon needs to look for a little bit more length. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with Chris Hudson coming in and being a develop my, development guy for a year or two. Right. Nothing. You, you'll never, ever, ever have a problem convincing me you need another skill guy. Yeah. It's, it's great to have him. And I'll just throw this out. Arizona State gets Johnny Wilson. Sure. And Arizona State wanted Chris Hudson. Yes. That is a staff loaded with NFL pedigree, with guys that understand how to evaluate talent. Right. And... If they want your players, that's a compliment. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. I, I, you know, Arizona State was a team that I said is somebody you kind of want to watch for. And this was months ago. Like, hey, just kind of watch what's going on down there. And Antonio Pierce is an incredible recruiter. I mean, he was. I know the big talk about Prentice Gill going down there, and he'll be fine down there. He'll be great for them. That, that's but, the uh, the old Patriots guy, right? Uh, no, Prentice Gill was the uh, analyst here at Oregon. That went oh, down to be right, right, yeah. Prentice Gill. No, yeah, I'm thinking Prentice of Pierce. Gill. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Antonio Pierce was, yeah. Linebacker. Uh, he played on the Giants, and I think he played on the Patriots, too, I believe. I think. Yeah, I know he played on the Giants. But anyways, yeah, Antonio Pierce is a great recruiter, did a ton of early leg work there, and they got a little boost by getting Prentice Gill from Oregon down there. Helped him enough with Johnny Wilson, uh, you know, great get for them, but they weren't able to pull Chris Hudson. I think I think Chris Hudson would be a great guy in a couple of years for Oregon. 
And the first quarterback on the list, Jay Butterfield. Yeah, I mean, very going to be very similar to what we've seen at Oregon and seen them recruit in the past. Kind of a, a longer guy, takes care of the football, um, you know, pretty smooth thrower, makes pretty good decisions. Um, you know, very similar to a lot of the praises that we give Justin Herbert and a lot of the praises we give Tyler Shuck from what we've seen so far. So I think he very much fits that mold. Um, not a breakaway runner, but fast enough to extend plays, which is something that you look for in just about any cornerback these days with how quick the defenses have become. So, um, again, <clears throat> another great guy, probably a bit on the development side behind Tyler Shuck. We'll see, but it never hurts to have depth. I think Oregon was severely lacking depth in the quarterback room, and this is a step in the right direction. The other thing I like about him, you mention his his buy-in, you mention his athleticism. I look for size out of that position. Yeah. I want somebody tall. I want somebody that can scan the field and be the field general, and he's got that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can watch his tape, and you can see that's definitely his M.O., um, you know, great early get for Oregon. He's a four-star, almost almost like a, a completely untalked-about four-star just because he committed so early. Um, not a big social media guy, so I don't want to say he's easily forgotten, but he just kind of falls into the shadows a little bit because of that. And that's okay because yeah. it's a quarterback. You want to hand this guy a thick playbook right. and make him go to work. Make him go to work, yeah. All right, Jaden Navarrete. I, uh, I'm a big Jaden Navarrete fan because, to me, he comes off as a really twitchy, um, athletic, jumbo athlete. Now, I think he's going to fall in line at linebacker for Oregon, uh, maybe kind of in that stud role a little bit, moving around, dropping down a line of scrimmage, you know, pulling out into the flat and doing those kinds of things. But I watched him uh, at a 7-on-7 seven -seven tournament, and the guy was catching passes all over the place. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you make a package from on offense, that's pretty tough to do, but you definitely get him out there on the defensive side of the ball and move him around. I think he is a, a very solid candidate to kind of replace Bryson Young in that stud role, um, and really be a strong compliment to cave on Thibodeau. You're going to put those two guys out there. You're going to have the speed of Thibodeau there, but you're going to have the ability of a guy like Jaden Navarrete to, you know, hold up at the point of attack, but also, you know, uh, uh, put his head down and go after the quarterback if he needs to. I'm a I'm a really big Jaden Navarrete fan. I think he's one of the most more underrated guys in the class. Yeah, if if he can play alongside Thibodeau as the other stud in that defense, right? Because right? they they kind of mirror. I think it opens up everything that Coach Avalos wants to do on defense because as a quarterback. When you're scanning the field wondering who's coming and where are they coming from, yeah. you've got to account for Thibodeau every play. Right. You've got to look for that five jersey. But there's going to be a play where he drops back in coverage and he's going with a tight end, and if you can bring pressure from the other side, they won't even see it coming. Yeah, and Navarrete's definitely a guy that can do that. I think you make a, a, a mention, a good point about Avalos and his defense. Versatility. I mean, he loves versatility. He loves having that flexibility of being able to move pieces around and drop guys in and out and basically force the offense to kind of guess what they're doing, which is any defensive coordinator wants to do that. And I think pieces like Navarrete really help him kind of stack the deck in his favor for that. And you, you teased this name earlier. I love the nickname Duke Nukem, Jackson yes. LaDuke. Yeah, I like Jackson LaDuke a lot. I mean, he's a guy that, that Oregon – 
Uh, really, really went after hard early. I know UCLA and some others went after him too. Um, a very high IQ young man, very high character. Um, not a big talker, not a big social media guy, but was uh, very, very strongly committed to Oregon throughout the whole process. Uh, I think he's a big hitter. And again, if you're going to, you mentioned having to account for Kayvon Thibodeau, well, you're going to have to account for Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. And if your next guy up, or your next guy on the field happens to be a very strongly ranked four-star in Jackson LaDuke that does have some pop in his game. I mean, that's a great compliment mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to those guys and to this defense. So, um, you know, we talk about this in, in other times, haven't so much today, but uh, you're only as good as your weakest link, right? Right. And that's offense and that's defense that's, and special teams. You know, if your weakest link is guys like Jaden Navarrete and Jackson LaDuke, well, you've certainly done something right, in my opinion. And I think it's a situation where iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And you, you use last year's class as a great example. Everyone talked about Kayvon Thibodeau, drooled over Kayvon Thibodeau for good reason. Right. And then who else had a great year? Mace Funa. Yeah. Right? Mace Funa realizes, <laughs> hey, I got this super talented guy right in front of me on the depth chart. I got to work. I got to right. fight for everything I want. And he did so. And I think that LeDuc might be in the same situation where you've got Sewell and you've got Flo, and now he comes on campus. If he goes anywhere else, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, he's the guy. Yeah. If he goes to Oregon, he's got to fight for everything he wants. Brandon Dorless is another guy that falls into what you were saying, too. You know, maybe not – he's not the five-star Thibodeau, but next thing you know, late in the year, Brandon Dorless is looking like a different kind of football player. Right. Like, holy crap, that's our weakest link awesome you know and and so uh yeah and it's funny because uh, back in the day before apparently usc had a recruiting shortfall apparently (laughs) uh in budget money uh when they were recruiting at a high level i'm with you that's the that's the craziest story of the whole day that school has so much money that it's stupid but anyways um people used to bitch about you know complain about or wonder about man why are you going to usc you're just going to go back up such and such and such and they already got this four star and this five star well, iron sharpens iron. I want to go play with other great players. I want them to push me. And we are seeing that at Oregon. Like, it's shifting to Oregon now. Now Oregon fans are getting greedy and, like, I want all the five stars. It's like, hey, you remember that as short as five years ago, y'all were bitching at everybody going to USC mm-hmm. and playing behind another five star? Well, guess what? There's a reason why. Now you're seeing the reason why. Iron sharpens iron. So that's on Duke Nukem. Yeah. Now tell me about Jake Shipley. Jake Shipley, you know, I, I just I like this guy, and here's what I'll say: I'm not so sure he might not end up on the offensive side of the ball. He could be an offensive lineman, he could be an offensive guard, something like that. I, I and I like that versatility. I like the fact that you can bring him on campus and kind of figure. It out. I'm not saying that's the plan. That's I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying he has that kind of skill set, and he's got those kinds of intangibles of being, a, you know, a longer guy, having the big body, being able to move pretty well. Um, you know, I, I really like Shipley. I, I think he can be. Uh, I hate. I, okay, I'm I'm gonna make this comparison, and it's gonna sound lazy, and it kind of is, but very Henry Mondu-ish. You know, a guy okay. that the, a guy that shows up has some has some pretty good tools uh, in his toolbox, but is a grinder, is a worker, is I mean, you know, he's the guy that lines up across from you and you think, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have my way with this guy. And maybe you kind of push him around in the beginning, but you realize he doesn't quit and he keeps coming. And by the third or fourth quarter, you're freaking tired of this guy and his high motor that doesn't quit on every play coming at you. 
and next thing you know, he's starting to beat you. You know, and I, I think that's a Jake Shipley. I think that was very much Henry Mondu's game for a little bit there. Didn't wow you with the athletic intangibles and wasn't a five star, but at the end of the day, became a damn good football player. And I think Shipley can do the same. Yeah, and y- you mentioned that persistence. It's something that we think about in other sports, like in baseball. They talk about this all the time. You only got to hit one out of four, right? Right. You, you hit one out of four, and you're going to be a ten year pro. In football, if a edge rusher or a D lineman has say forty snaps, right. And that's a low snap count. Let's say they get 40 snaps a game. You hit on one of those, and you're one sack a game average. You're yeah, a stud. You're a stud, yeah. You're making an impact on the game. And I just th- I think Shipley can be a guy, you know, you're going to put him out there, and you're going to line up, you know, dudes like Dorless, and you're going to line up dudes like Thibodeau, and you're going to line up all these other dudes around him, you know, Navarrete, whatever. We'll just keep going on the list. But you're going to line up all these dudes around him, and you're going to think, okay, I can handle this one guy. And next thing you know, you're freaking tired, and he's still coming. And it's right. like, oh, crap. Now I'm going to need a little help. Well, then when you require help, guess what that leaves? That leaves Thibodeau, Dorless, whoever on the wings in one-on-one situations. Yeah. You're screwed. And Mario Cristobal <laughs> yeah. grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. That's what it leaves. Yeah. Um, here's a name that when I read Scoop Duck over the last couple months, I've heard a lot about this kid. I know you're really excited about him. Fans are pumped to have him. But he might have slipped under the radar after this last week and all the other big names. Bennett Williams. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to sit here right now. And if, we're, if you're if you gun to my head, hey, Justin, who's, who's, a, you know, who's an instant impact player next year? Who's coming into play? This is one of them. I mean, this guy's up near the top of the list. Huge Bennett Williams fan. I mean, he is just a football player to a T. He's a guy that just has one of the things that makes Panay Sewell a next level player like he is, is instincts. And it's something you can't teach. He just, Panay Sewell, if you listen to Coach Cristobal or Coach Mirabal talk about him, they'll, they'll tell you everything about Panay Sewell and, and how great he is at all these things. But one of the elements that makes him absolutely next world is his instincts. And Bennett Williams has those exact same instincts, much like Javon Holland. I mean, they just have that innate ability to diagnose a play and really know what's coming and be able to make that play. And Bennett Williams is 100% one of those guys, not the biggest, strongest, fastest guy on the field, but, you know, John Boyett's a guy that that comes to my mind that played at Oregon that had those same that same ability, just a knack for the football, um, just knowing where to be. And it's, it's, it, it cannot be taught. All you can teach at that point is making sure that they're being, that they're, you know, that a guy like Bennett Williams or that your safeties are in the right spot at the right times and where they're supposed to be. Let them do the rest. I know Brady Breeze returns. I know Nick Pickett returns. I know both those guys kind of rotated starting. I know Verone McKinley comes back. I know Javon Holland comes back. There's not an opening at safety for somebody to come in and play right away. I still think Bennett Williams does. Yeah. Hey, and you and you hit it right on the head. The number one priority for a safety is instincts. Yeah. You want somebody smart. You want somebody that never takes the wrong angle, never has a hesitation before he pursues the football. Right. And Bennett Williams, he can do that. Yeah. And Oregon's had some great safeties. I know I mentioned John Boyette, but... I mean, we go down, you know, T.J. Ward, they've had some dudes that are playing. Patrick Chung, there's a ton of guys. I mean, uh, you know, Eric Dargan, they've had some guys that have really had some great instincts. Bennett Williams is up there with the best of them. You put a guy like Bennett Williams next to Javon Holland, 
and if uh, I mean we don't know, but if we assume that Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore mm-hmm. return and Mikael Wright mm-hmm. is there, that defensive back rotation's pretty damn strong, no doubt. And and I know Coach Avalos, I could never picture him just just sitting his safeties back in like a cover two man and right. and letting them squat and scan the field. But when you got Javon Holland and potentially Bennett Williams back there. That could be fun. You're gonna be able to do year. some things. That's versatility in the defensive backfield, which I don't think Oregon had this year. Right, right, and it, it mirrors the versatility they have in the front seven. Yeah, exactly. Jalen Jeffers. Uh, this is a kid that we're probably going to be talking about in two or three years as a dude, like somebody that's going to start earning and garnering. I, I probably shouldn't say in two years, but I'll bet you in three years or so, this is a young man that's going to be. Uh, pushing himself on some NFL draft boards. I see that kind of potential in him. I think he's a, a bit of a development guy up front. You're going to get him on. You're going to get him with Mirabal. You're going to get him with Cristobal. He's going to learn from some of the guys that are there now. He's going to watch Panay Sewell for a year and try and mirror everything he does. But Jalen Jeffers has these incredible arms for length, which are a, 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 one of the most valuable tools an offensive lineman can have. And I just think that he's a guy, like I said, in, in three years or so, when we look back, and, and I'd have to look, I think he's a three-star on most of the services right now. I think he's like an 88 or somewhere in there. Just going off memory, this is a guy that, you know, everybody's going to go back and be like, yeah, I think you guys missed that one a little bit. Mark, think, Big, big upside for him. Let him develop for a year or so. Big upside. Okay, now Marcus Harper. So... <clears throat> One of the things I've tried to educate Oregon fans on, which I know we're going to get to because they're coming up, but one of the things that I've tried to educate Oregon fans on this year is when you want defensive linemen, you go to the Carolinas. And if they're a two-star and nobody has heard of them and their only offer is Coastal Carolina, chances are they're probably going to be better than anybody we could take out west that's a four-star. Okay, there's that lesson. If you want offensive linemen, go to the Midwest. Okay, because Wisconsin doesn't leave that footprint Ohio State rarely leaves that footprint Michigan rarely leaves that footprint Michigan State rarely leaves that footprint Notre Dame rarely leaves that footprint Penn State rarely leaves that footprint Iowa rarely leaves that footprint Nebraska rarely you get where I'm going here I'm talking about major power programs that love to run the football and play with the big uglies up front and where are they all recruiting them from the Midwest so a guy like Marcus Harper I think I think he's just I think he's mean I think he's nasty. I think he's got the ability to put on good weight and get even bigger and still keep his maneuver, uh, keep his athletic ability. Um, I have a tough time picking between Jeffers or Harper, which one I think has more. I don't know if I want to say upside. Upside is, upside is part of it, but the more potential to outplay the ranking. Because, again, this isn't a guy that's a four-star, not a highly talked mm-hmm. about, highly ranked, didn't have the major offers. And I'm going to go ahead and go back to something I've said a couple times now. If there's something I'm going to trust with Oregon recruiting, it's Mario Cristobal recruiting offensive linemen. <laughs> okay, so clearly he sees something here. I wonder why. I think, <laughs> I believe in the coming years, I believe in the coming years, including this this next year and what we saw a little bit this year, I believe you're going to see Oregon really start to hit the Midwest hard for offensive linemen. I am not what I need to make sure you guys understand. I am not blanket statement that Oregon's going to go to the Carolinas to recruit everybody. 
I'm saying they might start favoring defensive linemen out of the Carolinas because that's what you do. Right. And I'm not saying they're going to go to the Midwest to recruit every position. I'm saying they're going to start looking in the Midwest a little harder for offensive linemen. I believe that's what they've done here. I know Mario Cristobal is very high on this young man. I believe, and I'm going off memory, he might only be 16 or maybe just turn 17. You're kidding. So you're talking about a really, really young young man. And he's eligible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. He's just growing into his big, big body still. Okay, so I want to ask you about some of the other names, but I got to follow up. Why do you think the Midwest develops better offensive line prospects? I, you know, I don't know. Why does the Why does the Southeast have all these fast twitch elite athletes? I don't know. They just do. I mean, they. If you want to go back and look at recruiting, and I've seen some articles here and there, and some of them are really good. You know, if you want quarterbacks, you go to the West Coast. We we always tend to have really good quarterbacks out west, specifically in California, but Arizona, other areas. Right. Uh, it's a great area for that. If you want offensive linemen, the Midwest is a tremendous place to start. If you want that fast twitch wide receiver or DB, you go to the SEC. You go down to Florida. You go down to uh, Georgia. You go down on that area, and you find those at like. And that's we talk about. Jordan Scott. We've talked about Jordan Scott, Brandon Dorless. Right. You want those fast twitch, big body guys that we don't find out west? You go down there. You go to the Carolinas and you go down there. If you want defensive ends, you usually go up to the Carolinas. I don't know. I don't know if it's what they're eating. I don't know if it's if it's uh, hereditary. I don't know what it is, but all these things are true. I mean, go back and look, and there will be articles and start reading on it. These things are true. And again, go back and look at the Big Ten. You know, those guys are all taken. They, they've run the football a ton. They always have. Michigan State always has. Michigan usually does. Penn State, Notre Dame, I can go down the list, Ohio State. And they're getting most of their guys up in that footprint, up in, you know, the northeast to the Midwest. Yeah. No, you, you sold me. I, I want to read more about that. Another name that last couple months on Scoop Duck, everybody loved this kid. Everyone was excited. And then when you sign Justin Flo and Noah Sewell and all these huge names, he kind of slips under the radar. What do you like about Trey Benson? Man, you know, um, just I mean, I said this on the site. I know I did. LSU, we talk about LSU, and they put out Leonard Fournette and these other running backs that are absolute freaking dudes, right? I mean, LSU knows running backs. They've been recruiting Trey Benson for months, trying hard to get him. Up until the last week or so, like they've been recruiting him all the way, trying to get him on for a visit. I mean, I'm sold right there, just that alone. But right. you're talking about a kid that's 6'1", 6'2", 210, 250 pounds, somewhere in that range, can run a 10'5". He's, he's fast. He, he's shifty. He's powerful. He is the complete back. And I know Jim Mastro's coached some terrific backs in the past, and I know that he considers this one to be one of the best that he's ever been able to recruit obviously being at Oregon you're able to up your pedigree a little bit being coming from Washington State Nevada and I and and I you know I watch this kids film I don't know I I do not know how anybody who ranks kids watches Trey Benson's film and says yeah it's three star it's not a freaking three star watch this film this kid is he's I know the I know that I know his competition level isn't the best but there's no way you can go and flip on Savelle Small's film out of Washington and convince me that that's a five-star knowing that his competition level sucks. 
and go flip on Trey Benson's film, whose competition isn't any worse, and he's right. a three-star. Right. There's no way there's that big a difference. Now, I'm not an expert on high school recruiting outside of Oregon. I mean, I watch a lot of Oregon games, so sure. I can tell you how the competition is in-state. But when I think about a running back undervalued because people thought he was playing a bunch of peewee schools, my mind goes to Josh Jacobs. Yeah, He's oh yeah. going to be rookie of the year this year in the NFL, stud at Bama back in the day. Yep. And before he goes to Bama, he had to really fight. He had to earn he his way there because the knock on him was, who have you played? Right. And that was another one that Mario Cristobal had to help plead to get him that offer because Mario was there. Yeah. No, he knew. And uh, that kid's a stud. I mean, absolute stud. And, you know, running backs, uh, you know, Trey Benson won't be an early enrollee, which is fine. I know he's coming into a loaded uh, backfield situation. You've got, obviously, you've got C.J. Verdell coming back. You've got Travis Dye coming back. You've got Javon Wilson's there. Sean Dollars is there. Darian Felix left, obviously. Uh, You know, Cyrus Habibi Licchio. You've got guys there. And so I'm going to have to temper my expectations. Is this a guy that comes in and starts this year? No. This is a guy that's going to get carries this year because mm-hmm. you absolutely have to. Yeah. You cannot keep him off the feet. He's going to show up. It's going to take him a week or two. He's going to get acclimated, and you're going to be like, oh, God, we got to start handing him the ball too. Yeah. I mean, there's only one football, so that's hard to do. But in a year or two, and you know, after some of these guys have, ahead of him have, have weeded out, He's gonna be a he's gonna be he's gonna be a he's gonna be a fifteen hundred yard two thousand yard back one season. It's kind of like when you have Kayvon Thibodeau and Mace Funa, and you're just resigned to the fact that yes, they were true freshmen. Right. Yes, they started out on the bottom of the totem pole, but they're gonna climb their way to the top. Yep. Braden Swinson. Yeah. So <clears throat> you're talking about a young man that uh, that that I believe uh, has the absolute body type that you really want in a defensive end. I mean, you're talking about something that you cannot find out West at all. So uh, I know he's in Georgia. I know he grew up in the Carolinas a little bit, so he kind of falls into that range to me. Uh, But you're just, I mean, you flip on his film. First of all, he's really young. He's another guy that I think is either 16 or or a young 17. So he's just a big puppy. He's still growing into his body. Um, I'm pretty sure he he came from – the North Carolina area before before going to Georgia, as I recall it correctly. Um, it's just length, body type, six foot three, six foot four, two. What is he? Two thirty, two thirty five, somewhere in there. Uh, Got to take him. I mean, just flip on the film, watch what he does. Consider how young he is. Developmental guy for the first year for sure. Right. But at, at those measurables, he will be. He will be. But I think in two or three years, you're talking about. To me, he's very. He's a little smaller, but he's very much like a Gus Cumberlander, who I know was coming on strong this senior year before his injury cut him short, which is really unfortunate because it was great to see him work so hard to get there. I think Braden Swinson won't take all four years to get to that point. I think in about his third year, we're talking about a guy that's like, hey, this is a legitimate football player that you, you know, maybe is he cave on Thibodeau fast? No, but I mean, for the Pac-12, he's going to eat out here. So yeah. I, I really... Really, and and, and I, I got to catch. I feel like people think that it's a knock that I'm talking about all these guys being in a developmental sort of territory. It's not. They're they're going to be freshmen. They're freshmen. If you're recruiting, you know, and Mario Crispo, I think he even said that if you're recruiting freshmen to come in and play for you right away, 
you're probably in a bit of trouble. And you can do that at some spots and, and need a little bit of an instant help. Uh, right. I'll call it a Band-Aid here or there. But if you're needing that across the board, you're in deep shit. Right. Look, look at Arizona State as a great example. Is Jaden Daniels a starting caliber quarterback in the Pac-12? Yes. Right. And a, and a good one. Right. And one that is going to be really awesome for them years down the road. Yeah. Did Jaden Daniels lead them to a conference title this year? No, Did, he, no. He still made freshman mistakes. Right. You can see the makings of a really good quarterback coming, but he still made a lot of mistakes. Right. And and I think Braden Swinson's a guy that's going to have uh, the the chance to come in and develop and learn from a Kayvon Thibodeau or the guys ahead of him already. I think this is a guy in two to three years that's going to be probably on my stock up list very high. I, I'm really high on him. Okay. And now Luke Hill. You know, Luke Hill bounced around a bunch in high school. He, I, I don't remember the exact number, but he's gone to three or four different high schools for various reasons. I know that there was a little bit of, um, I don't want to call them red flags. How about I call them orange flags? You know, a little bit of warning signs. I think some schools offered and then kind of backed off. And Oregon stayed with him, and I think they're really happy that they did because he had a, a, he had a really good senior year. He was on the USA Today first team all defense. So that should tell you something right there that we're talking nationally, not just for his area. Wow. Um, so you're talking about a guy uh, that clearly knows how to play corner, um, very polished there. He was very, high, very highly ranked at one point. I don't recall, but I believe he was in the top 150. I don't think he is anymore. But you're talking about a guy that I think kind of pulled everything together, moved around. You know, different high schools probably had a lot going on in his personal life, probably got distracted on the football field. That stuff happens. I think he pulled it back all together this year and had a really good year. So yeah. um, uh, it, it reminds me uh, of very similarly different circumstances, but reminds me uh, very similarly to Keon Ware Hudson. We talked about that before. Keon was on the path, you know, sophomore, junior year heading in was going to be a top 50 guy, top 100 guy, whatever, everybody, mm -hmm. you know, Alabama, everybody wants him. Injury cuts the season short, things change. It wasn't an injury for Luke Hill. I think the bouncing around these other things, you know, lended merit to that. Right. He came through. He had a really good year. Oregon stuck by him. He stuck by Oregon, didn't waver. I think he's going to be a good one. And I think this is a good example of where evaluation goes wrong. Yeah. You sh I mean, it's understandable to knock a kid if he gets injured. And say, you know, we don't know if he's going to be the same guy after injury. But when you have a situation like this where he's just moving around, it's yeah. out of his control. It's not like he says, oh, I want to play in Texas tomorrow. Right. Or, no, I want to go play in Florida tomorrow. Or, I want to move cross country, go to Cali. That's usually out of their control. That's right. family and, and other variables there. You can't knock a kid for that. Right. It's hard to bounce around school to school and team to team and coach to coach and still contribute on the football field. Yeah, not to mention, and we're just, and you're just even mentioning a football aspect. You know, it's hard to get to know kids in high school. You're the new kid, make friends, right. you know, find your role there, find your place. I mean, we all remember being a teenager a little bit, and it's, I mean, there's some funky years there. I know it's different now, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's just so much that goes on to it. You, you know, you move, and maybe you've moved away from a girlfriend or all your best friends you grew up with or your family. And, and you know, Seven McGee is another perfect example. Oregon's uh, 2021 running back commit. He's gone from New York back to California, back to New York, back to California again, totally out of his control. Right. Not the, not the young man's fault. So, you know, if you're Oregon, if you're the coaches, you just try and stick by him and be that constant 
and walk them through any of those personal things and those things they're going to go through as a 16, 17 year old and, and, and try and be there when they need you. And, uh, you know, Oregon did that for Luke Hill. I think he's grateful and thankful. I, I, he's going to, he's going to be a really, he's going to, he's going to be a starter at Oregon uh, at some point in his career. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for that young man. Now let's get to Jonathan Dennis. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's a Florida kid. Um, one of those big bodies that has, has the twitch you just don't find out west now i know he's going to be an offensive lineman not a defensive lineman but for an offensive lineman he's one that's going to probably be able to get out and kick to that second level and be able to move and so and that's a great thing that becomes a really good combination with some of the other guys that mario cristobal already has he's going to be a totally different player than like a an, an ope than a lalulu and you need that you've got to have that that balance on your offensive line. Right. Um, you know, I mean, Dallas Warmack's a completely different type of player than Panay Sewell. So you've seen that now. Um, I, I really like Dennis. Uh, he's again, with the way Mario Cristobal's recruited offensive line the last two years, I don't think he went out and decided that he needed a bunch of four star surefire starter guys to come in this year. He really didn't. I mean, you got Stephen Jones coming back next year. I think he's going to be a starter. We got Jonah Talanu'u coming back next year, a guy that was highly, uh, highly rated, almost a five star as a recruit. He's already got dudes in Eugene that he's he's been molding. These are the next group of guys that are going to kind of come in and something that you said earlier, kind of fill the cracks, kind of kind of come in and like, okay, well, you know, maybe this kid didn't pan out here, so I need a guard. Let me plug in. And, and that's the thing. I think Jonathan Dennis, I think uh, I think Harper, I think both those guys have versatility to play tackle or guard. And that's there's a lot of value there for, yes. for Coach Cristobal and Coach Mirabal oh, yeah. to fill those cracks moving forward in the coming years. If you have an injury, you have somebody that is confident as a swing tackle or confident as a, a hybrid guard tackle or a center guard hybrid you want that on your line. Yeah. If you're if you're counting on true freshmen to come in and help you at the offensive line, you're in trouble. Right. I mean, Panay Sewell aside, I mean, that's a very I mean the, the Ducks don't have Lamar Jackson under center. Right. No, and but even but even then, like, you know, everybody's true freshman on the line, that's a bad recipe. Right. And everybody's gonna point to Panay Sewell and say, Well, he started as a true freshman. Yeah, he's also probably gonna be the top pick in the NFL draft next year. As he should. Yeah. So I mean yeah, there are exceptions to the rule. But statistically speaking, if you're counting on a true freshman to come in and play for you at offensive line and you want to be a playoff challenge, uh, championship caliber team, you're probably in trouble. Okay, so just going off Scoop Duck, I've got two more names on the list. Jalen Smith. I'm a big Jalen Smith fan, and I feel like I've said this a bunch. I'm overhyping the class. Look, I think, I think, I think Oregon recruited pretty well top to bottom. Not every one of these guys is going to pan out. I get that, and that's okay. It's good to be optimistic. It's okay if you have some reservations about some. And I think the best way to describe it is de- is developmental guys. Oregon brought in, in my estimation, they brought in a couple of dudes at the top end, which we've identified, and they brought in quite a few developmental guys. And that's okay. I think Jalen Smith's another one of those developmental guys, but he was not as highly re- recruited as I think he should have been. Jalen Smith is a dude. He's a he's one of those defensive ends from the Carolinas. So I'm a huge fan. Uh, he's one of those that I know when Oregon uh, Oregon caught wind of him, flipped on his film, and it, and I believe it was Ken Wilson. At basically, 
watched this kid's film for about four or five minutes and went, holy crap. You know what I mean? And then you go back and you're like, did I just see what I thought I saw? And you know, and so then you go back and watch the first minute or two again. Yeah, I got to get this in front of Mario and, and Coach <laughs> Joe. And they instantly did and instantly, instantly went in on him. So, you know, Oregon clearly saw something that they like about Jalen Smith. If it's me from what I saw, you, you see a long, lanky, bendy, fast twitch young man that you absolutely, again, just like Swins, you do not see those body types out west. You Not in abundance. A cave on Thibodeau occasionally, but you're talking about a one-off. I'm talking about, you know, you found a couple guys that – that that you just don't see out west, and I, mm-hmm. I man, I, I I tell you what, you you're gonna put these kind of guys in a rotation with Mikel Wrights and Panay and and Noah Sewells and Justin Flows and Kayvon Thibodeaux's, and again, I'm gonna go back. I've said a couple times, if your wink link are guys like this that are huge upside developmental guys, to couple with your I'm using quotation mark dudes, you're in great freaking shape, man. You really are. You're in great shape, and Oregon's in great shape defensively. And that's all the defensive guys. Now one more dude, and and if if you catch me, maybe there's a name I forgot, name I, I don't mention, let me know. This dude, I loved how this all went down yesterday. Dual threat quarterback, Robbie Ashford. Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably have just said the first two words and duck fans would have been elated to hear the words dual threat come out of somebody's mouth and associate. Look, I'm excited too. I, I mean, I mean, I love the no huddle, no mercy that, that we used to see and you know, chip Kelly and, and I get all that offense. And I think I believe that I believe a principle of that can be a part of the, of the Oregon offense under Mario Cristobal. I think having the threat of a run at quarterback is such a huge value in the college game. Obviously, it's becoming a threat in the NFL. Man, I I love this kid's game. I love how it came together. I love that Oregon was able to get him signed early. I love the fact that he plays baseball. I love that he competed in the Elite 11. And, and, you know, I've seen comments from Yogi Roth pretty much oozing about this young man's upside. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of Robbie Ashford. I, I... I'll be completely honest. If I was assigning a grade on quarterback recruiting and Oregon had just signed Jay Butterfield, I probably would have given them like a C plus or maybe a B minus, not as a knock on Jay Butterfield, right? but only because I think Oregon really needed more bodies. They needed more guys. They needed more competition. I also think that they needed more versatility at the quarterback. I, I know that you might have a, a particular type in mind, or at least Marcus Arroyo seemed to. I think there's a lot of value when you bring in different different kind of guys, run them through an offense, kind of see what they can do, see what they do well, see what they need work on, fix the areas they need work on, enhance the areas you're strong at, and kind of cater your offense to the strengths of that quarterback and see how efficient your offense can be. I think a guy like Robbie Ashford comes in, and I changed my grade from, let's just say, a C-plus to probably a B-plus. Really excited, not just because of the player, because of the versatility, because he's signing early, because he's a baseball player. I love his tape. I'm a big Robbie Ashford fan. I love this get. I'm really right there do. with you. Two points to me that stand out, and you talked about his versatility. The more that your quarterback can do, mm-hmm. run, pass, and variety of run and pass, the more he can do, the more your offense can do yeah. because he's the engine of your offense. 
the other point to hit on with him, he's so good on the baseball diamond. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people don't understand when the next Major League Baseball draft happens He'll be in drafted. June, he's going to get drafted. Yeah. He might. And I'm not. I'm not saying this will happen. I'm not Justin Hopkins pulling out a recruiting prediction. He's gonna have some offers. He is. Yeah, there's he'll be some money thrown on the he'll table. He'll get drafted, and you know as well as I do. I mean, the draft is huge, and there's a lot of money in baseball, of course. So everybody gets an offer. I he he fully will. I don't know if he'll get drafted high enough to go or not, but I guess we'll see. But I mean, I love it. I mean, you, right. you're, you're talking about you know, I I like. I like baseball players in quarterbacks. Kyler Murray is an example. Yes. Huge success at college. I know the jury's still out in the NFL. The the footwork is phenomenal. Yeah. With baseball guys. The center of gravity, being yeah. able to throw from angles, both with your feet and with your arms, and your vision. Yeah. You know, they they have all of that. Well, and they can whip the ball. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a matter. I mean, Touch. like. Yeah, maybe they don't have the uh, uh, truly elite arm strength of Justin Herbert, but they usually have no problem making all the throws on the field. I mean, Russell Wilson's another perfect example of a guy. I love, I just, I love that. I love that they got, uh, were able to get Robbie Ashford. I mean, literally, as we record this podcast on a Thursday, 10 days ago, Oregon wasn't even recruiting him. Oregon fans didn't really barely knew he existed, right? right. He decommitted from Ole Miss. Until he decommitted from Ole Miss, I didn't bring his name up. And then the minute he decommitted, I'm like, okay, hey, guess what, guys? Watch this. And then here we are, not even 10 days later, and he's freaking signed with Oregon. Crazy story. Amazing. One of those that's like, I mean, Jordan Scott, you know, commits sight unseen. Uh, Ugo Amati commits to Oregon sight unseen and signs. There's been some really cool stories like that in the past. Those worked out great. Right. I mean, almost a, makes you feel bad for Lane Kiffin, too. Yeah, never had a chance. <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's a reason Oregon pushed for the signature early, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Lane Kiffin definitely would have gotten in his ear and made that interesting, no doubt about it. Get him, get him signed, move on. I don't care who enter, enters the transfer portal at quarterback moving forward. You take Butterfield, you take Ashford, get him on campus, start, start working with them, start getting him in the program, give him that fat-ass playbook and say, go to work, boys. And absolutely, absolutely let the iron sharpen iron there. Right. A thousand percent. Right. We've talked about this all year. The idea that moving forward, your quarterback room is now Shuck, Butterfield, Millen. And people forget about Millen. Right. Kale Millen, he, he's going to be a fighter next couple of years. And now Robbie Ashford. Yep. That's a fun quarterback room. Yeah. It's, it totally changes that quarterback room. It To me, you had three of the same guy in Shuck and Millen and Butterfield, and you went ahead and said, you know what, let's just go ahead and add this little bit of spice here and see how this kicks the room out. I, I love it, and it's not any, it's not an indictment of, of any of, of those other players. It could be Shuck, it could be Millen, it could be Butterfield. I just think, I just think Mario Cristobal really gave his offense a chance to kind of evolve a little bit, adding this particular element to it. I'm a big Robbie Ashford fan. I'm excited about that one. All right. So those are all the names that I found. Am I missing one? I like Robbie Ashford more than I like C.J. Stroud, and fans are probably going to have a tough wow. time believing that. No, I really wow. do. Okay. All right, man. I feel really good. We just hit on uh, all the all the players that the Ducks announced yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically that was everybody that Oregon signed. Um, I know the big question marks right now is who's still out there and, you know, who can – so – you know, clearly, Klee Ringo and Dante Manning are the two top guys that Oregon's after. 
you know, Oregon might be leading for both, might be leading for one. Did both sign? Did either sign? Look, we don't really know, and they want to announce in about a week and a half. There's going to be plenty of discussion on them, on the boards, on the site, uh, on Twitter, all over for the next week and a half until they announce. Um, you know, I feel really good about Oregon getting one of them. We'll kind of see how it plays out, but I let's just, if the Ducks got either one of them, that's enough to put their recruiting class to number one in the Pac-12 conference and should get them inside the top 10 nationally just with either one. Wow. Either one. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that includes Dante Manning, and I, the reason I say Dante Manning is because Kali Ringo's higher ranked, which is more points if you get him committed. So either way, you're going to bump your class potentially up to uh, the top 10 and the number one class in the Pac-12. So, you know, what we saw signed yesterday and announced and everything was great. You might have a, an extra. I think Justin Flo and Robbie Ashford were, were two, two cherries on the Sunday. You might have a, another cherry added to the Sunday uh, in about a week and a half. And, you know, there's still January. I, I, I believe, you know, Mario Cristobal definitely left the door open for some future recruiting into January. It won't be a ton. Okay, Oregon's not going to go out and offer 30 guys. Okay, they got a couple spots to work with. Mm-hmm. It's not a ton. They got a couple spots to work with. Right. I could see Oregon ending up. Uh, we're just going to discount Dante Manning and Clay Ringo besides what they do. I could see Oregon adding one to two more guys in February, potentially three if it's an elite guy or two. Um, it's going to be a small pool. They'll probably only recruit a dozen or, or less guys. But I tell you, as of today, Thursday, you and I are recording this. It's just before one. You know, Oregon's basically doing the exact same thing that every recruiting junkie is doing. They're going through the rankings and the list to see who didn't sign with whichever school, who's still available. They are going through themselves as a, as a staff recruiting office today doing that. And the next move after that is you start watching film on some of these guys. You might be familiar with a few of them. There's some you probably haven't recruited much to this point. You're going to go on and look at their uh, film and start doing some background check work and seeing if it's a match, if it's a fit, if it's a guy that you'd like to get to know a little better. Um, and if it matches up a need, you're obviously not going to go and look at another quarterback. Okay, Oregon doesn't have a need there. Uh, but you're probably going to start looking at tight ends. You're probably going to start looking at receivers. Could potentially look at a defensive back, maybe a defensive lineman if there's an elite one out there. Um, that's the next phase. So before we go putting the cart before the horse, I know everybody wants to list the names that Oregon's going to go after. They don't even have the list. Right. Okay, so I don't have a list to give you if they don't even have a list. So let this thing kind of work out over the next week. Uh, also, not to mention, Oregon's got to get ready for uh, apparently a Rose Bowl or something of that matter. Really? Yeah, apparently they're still full. So, the I mean, Ducks are playing in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, so I mean, give this... Breaking th- news. Yeah, I mean, signing day was yesterday. <laughs> you know, we're still we're still riding high on the flow news. There's some other things at work. I know everybody's excited for like the next move and the next piece of news. It's coming. Let right. this kind of play out a little right. bit, guys. I'm working on it. I promise I am. It's in. It's coming when there's relevant, tangible uh, information that I can get to you guys. I'll get it to you guys. Uh, but for now, let's continue to enjoy yesterday. Let's look now. Let's maybe start to shift a little bit back into football once again and looking at the Rose Bowl and the game that's coming up. Uh, and oh, by the way, apparently the basketball teams are pretty good too. Yes, and I want to spend a couple minutes on that, but just I think back to what I said on my radio show on Tuesday night here in Southern Oregon. Mario Cristobal wanted to prioritize 
this week of recruiting. Yeah. Wanted to prioritize getting all these elite talents that we've spent an hour plus gushing about and get them to Eugene, get the paperwork signed, get that locked in, and then you worry about the Rose Bowl. Right. And then when we hit 2020, you start asking who's going to be the offensive coordinator. Right. You don't put the cart before the horse and do that now and don't call any recruits or you know seal those plugs up you don't do that now and ignore your rose bowl prep yeah you focus on recruiting then on the rose bowl then on the future at oc you know i know we ask ourselves and people ask you know how does mario cristobal figure out how to juggle all these different things recruiting a team and 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 hires and and you know all these things right here's the deal i every day you know he's probably got to wake up at three or four whenever he wakes up and when he's working out you put you 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 go through your list of things you got and you just start putting priority one Mm -hmm. okay it's priority one here's two and you just got to start working through it in that fashion you know last couple weeks the priority or at least last week and a half ish recruiting has been priority one it's been at the top and that's the thing about the staff that is different they they do not take recruiting for granted you know they uh, they felt really good about Justin Flo heading into yesterday, but they weren't going to take that for granted. It's not like they just stopped recruiting him and said, "Oh, we're good." He's told us he's coming. Well, man, they kept going. Like, hey, you know, we're they kept figuring out how to get other other commits to, you know, uh, to peer pressure him, if you will, and and keep on it. And that's what's different about this staff is and why they're able to close the way they do. But you know, like you said, everything gets a priority number. Recruiting's had the priority number for the last week and a half. Well, it's going to get pushed down the list now. And now uh, preparing for Wisconsin uh, is probably up at the top. Finding yourself an offensive coordinator might be just underneath that. And then, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll keep recruiting, but it's definitely third or fourth on your list now. Right. And, and the other things are moving to the forefront. And before we go, just a couple minutes, huge week for Duck basketball. Yeah. Yeah, Dante's. Well, I don't. I can't say Dante's back. Dante's here. Yes. Yeah, and he's here. And he's here. That, that yeah. was like a comet landing to Earth last night <laughs> yeah. against Montana. Yeah, that kid can play. Yeah. No, I, 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 I have to. I think I need to eat. I need to eat a little bit of crow there because I felt like he was a guy that might start out a little slow and need to develop a little bit. I mean, highly ranked, of course, but I think you know he, he jumped up a year, so I kind of wondered if he would be ready. You know, because you're kind of taking two steps, really. But mm-hmm. elite players are elite players for a reason. And, I mean, man, I mean, it was Montana. So I'm not ready to go, like, all in yet. You know, like, it was impressive. But I still, I'm going to say, okay, it's Montana. You know, he's going to play some good competition in the Pac-12. I imagine that just like anybody that's a freshman, you'll have a little bit of the ups and downs, uh, a little bit of the learning curve. But, man, if last night was any indication of what this team could build on and get to in in March, holy shit, man. Right. Like, holy crap. And, and you're right. We're about a month away from seeing the litmus test games, yeah. your USC's, US, UCLA, Arizona, games like that. But after seeing this team go into Ann Arbor and knock out one of the top teams in the nation, and then crush Montana. You yeah. start looking back at some of these wins and the margin of these wins, and it's fair to say, look at last year 
and how hard that Duck team had to work just to get in. Yeah. They had to sweep Vegas and the Pac-12 tourney just to get in. Right. I feel like this team's already punched their ticket. <laughs> yeah. No, that win, in, uh, win, that, win in, that win in Michigan was phenomenal. Probably one of the best regular season wins I can remember in a while. It really was. Um, and there's been some good ones, but that was an impressive ball club on the road. And they both played good games. It wasn't like they caught Michigan on a bad day. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They got Michigan's best shot. I thought it was just, I mean, just a really tremendous statement win. And the fact that they didn't even have Dante for that game. And then we saw what we saw last night. And it's like, holy crap, this team could even kick it up another notch. Right. And I think you kind of alluded to something. They got, they've got, it's not like they, you know, got on a heater late and only had like a couple weeks to kind of bring it all together. They got months to bring it all together. If they stay healthy, they could be playing some tremendous basketball by the end of the year. And really be like that team you do not want to play Yes, come the tournament. Yes. I feel like this team offensively with Dante coming in is playing like they wanted to play last year. Yeah. Playing like they wanted to play when Bowl Bowl was healthy. Of You have that dominant force on the inside that you can stick there in the post and run everything through. Yeah. I, I mean, as good as Peyton Pritchard's playing this year and he's – He's been one of the best players in college basketball, period, mm-hmm. regardless of position. You have now taken Oregon, and instead of, my opinion, kind of making them – they were a little bit one-dimensional. Yes. They are a two-dimensional team Yes, tenfold the, right the now. The formula for the last year and a half has been defense-generating offense. Right. Of – you don't have that big man to slow it down and run a traditional offense through. You're going to score in transition. You're going to score with quick passing and ball movement and, and Peyton just high motor all game long. Right. Now you have a great backup plan. Right. And it's it's really exciting to see that come to fruition and see Dana Altman a little happier in the post-game <laughs> yeah. press conference for once and see what this Duck team can do. Well, and it's just like we talked about football earlier. If you can add versatility to your team, it it makes it that much harder for the opponent, and right. that's exactly what Oregon's done here. They're they're now versatile offensively. Now you've got to know, hey, okay, they're going to be able to do this when they put Dante in. We got to account for that, or you know, who knows? I mean, just having that versatility, really, man, pretty exciting. Sky's the limit. Yeah, and uh, two uh, two basketball teams, the men's and women's, that are championship caliber teams. Hey, that's the other one right there. And football's playing for a Rose Bowl. I'm still mad that Sedona Prince can't play that's this year. So stupid. That's that's yeah, the gosh. NCAA saying we don't want to mail you the trophy right. early. Right. We don't want to just declare the season over. Yeah. We want to yeah. put some suspense out there. That, that, that is true. If they had Sedona. They don't lose a game. No. If Sedona went to UConn, they probably would have let her play. No. Because <laughs> then they would have made it interesting. No doubt. Yeah. You know, Gino would have been making some calls yeah. there. I'm double birding the NCA right now. He did. Tom Herman style. That, that's, uh, yeah. that was pretty blatant yeah. there. That's pretty flagrant. Just like Tom Herman. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. tee him up and uh, make him pay for that a little bit later. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Listen on Apple Podcasts. Listen on Google. Hey, I, I just want to throw this out there. This is... you're probably going to roll your eyes at this, anybody listening, but if you Google Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, there's like 30 different podcast apps that all show up on Google now that we're on all of them. Okay. Kudos to you. We're we're everywhere. We're everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know that, look, I get it. Everybody's got their app that they like or whatever, but 
I mean, I, I don't know how much time I can spend getting us on every app out there. So hopefully you can find one that we're on. But most importantly, guys, and I know we say this often, share it, review it, like it, yeah. spread the love, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook. I mean, help us grow. Uh, if we can get some advertising revenue on this thing at some point, that obviously that just only helps us continue with the podcast and make it better. One of these days, um, your guys at Hop Valley are going to listen to this. They're going to, yeah, they'll be like, man, we should really get on there. That would be smart for us. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm going to have to tweet at them. But no. Justin and, and Matt are putting my kids through college. <laughs> at least right. I can do is advertise on their podcast. Repay it, yeah. You know how much bubble stash those two assholes drink? Uh, no, anyways, uh, guys, share share this for us, and, and we appreciate everything. We appreciate all you guys, and... Uh, you know, great day to be a duck today, and uh, hopefully, Matt and I talked about this pre-show. We'll, we'll effort to get you a podcast out next week, but Christmas makes things funky, so hopefully, uh, we'll be back to be back next week. Scoop duck and high five! Thanks for listening. I can do this night, like-